We are continuing our series of lessons going through the book of Philippians. This morning, picking up in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Have you ever packed for a trip, maybe a day trip or a long one, and you put all your stuff in there and you may go through your list, make sure you have everything, then you go to pick it up and realize how heavy that thing is, how heavy it's gotten. There have been times I've gone on a trip and I go pick up a bag and I thought, did we stick a cousin in here or something? How did this bag get so heavy? But, but we think about some of our trips, we think about some of our things we prepare for and the things which we put into those packs. It's always those things which we think we need or that we simply want to have with us, right? When we put something in our bag to go somewhere, is it because we either want it or we think we need it? We think about in a spiritual sense, if we were to carry a backpack with you through life, what would be in it? I'm not talking about things that necessarily actually fit a backpack. But what would be in your pack if you carried one with you each and every day? Would your family be one that carried, you carried with you? That's something that's important or someone that's important. What about your friends or what about your job? What about God? What about His Word? What about the church? What would be in that pack? If you were to carry that with you each and every day, what would be in that? You think about Philippians chapter 3, you think about the things in which Saul, before he was converted, as he's talking a lot about his previous life before his conversion here, we recognize him being Saul, he had a lot of different things in his life which he did. He had a lot of different things in his pack that he carried with him everywhere he went. And we're going to find as we go throughout Philippians chapter 3 that he was going to tell us about how he gave up all those things to gain something much more important. We'll begin first by looking at the things that we would count and that Saul would count as losses as we look at Philippians chapter 3. We're not going to go through this every single verse, but we're going to focus on a few things for us to learn from this morning. Beginning in Philippians chapter 3, backing up to verse 4, we think about his position among the Jews. Saul was well known, I think it's safe to say, he was well liked among the Jews. He had many teachers who over the years, no doubt, he had grown close to. He had, I'm sure, family. He had, I'm sure, friend, friends. And he had those who he would call maybe his, even his close confidants while he was living as someone who was not a follower of Christ. Looking at verse 4, Philippians chapter 3, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, he's talking about things that he has accomplished, earthly things. He says, Even thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, he says, I more so. If someone was going to boast about their fleshly accomplishments, Paul says no one could have more, had more reasons to boast than him. And we find in the following verses he reviews some of those accomplishments, those things that he was involved in, those things which he had done prior to his conversion. We look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, I did everything. 
He was circumcised on the right day. He was what? Of the stock of Israel. He was also of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew, he says, of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, he says his beliefs were Pharisee, right? Concerning zeal, well, we know how zealous he was in his work. As he, he says there in verse 6, he persecuted the church. He persecuted those who he believed were contrary to what he believed at that time was the truth. Persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness, righteousness, he says, which is in the law, he says, blameless. He kept the law. He was blameless in doing those things. And so these are some of his fleshly accomplishments. We also know as we continue reading that he would suffer loss of these things. As we look at verses 7 and 8, we think about some of the things which he would lose. Now we know as we look at verse 7 and 8 here, it says, But what things were gained to me, those things which he had accomplished prior to his conversion, he says, These things I counted, for, counted loss for Christ. Would he count loss? All those things he had done according to the old law. Now, no doubt he, he was in his right to do those things under the Old Testament law, to obey the Old Testament law until Christ came. But it, until it came to the point where he was persecuting the church and he had the, the belief of following that line of the Pharisee, not, that is, those who believe in the resurrection, but we know they also had other problems as well. But Paul was what? Or saw here, rather, as he's talking about his former life. He says he's going to give all those things up. He was going to lose those things for a determined purpose. Keep in mind, when, when Saul met Christ on the road to Damascus, and after he was told to go to wait for Ananias, that Paul did all those things deliberately. None of those things were by accident. He didn't intend to meet Christ on the road to Damascus because Christ at that time should have been dead in the grave, right? After all, he didn't believe in Christ as the Son of God until he met him on the road. He didn't become a Christian until he obeyed the commands that were passed on to him by Ananias. But what did he do? He deliberately gave up those old ways of thinking and those old teachings that would put him against Christ. He says here in verse 7, What things were gained to me, those things he has accomplished in his previous, in his pre-conversion life, if you will, he says, These have counted loss for Christ. He gave them up. Now, I think also we could say that he gave up much more than just the old way of thinking. Saul... Basically, from the time he was converted to moving forward, he was going to be met with persecution almost immediately. The Bible tells us that he wouldn't even escape the city teaching and preaching before persecution came upon him. We look at verse 8. It says, Yet indeed I also count, now notice, all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says he gave everything up to do what? So that he could know Christ. It also tells us in order to know Christ, he had to give those things up. He had to give up that old way of thinking that condemned in his mind Christ being the Son of God. Because Saul was doing what? Yes, he had done many things that were correct, but one thing he missed was the Son of God coming in the form of Christ. He says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He counted them all lost, so he could know Christ. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Rubbish is another word for garbage or trash, right? 
He counted them as what? They're worthless. If it's trash, if it's rubbish, it means they're not worth, they're not worth keeping around, right? You know, Saul was not a hoarder. When he counted something as rubbish, he got rid of it. That means he, he didn't have anything to do with those things anymore. I have suffered the loss of Christ. He says, for him, I suffered the loss, of, suffered the loss of all things, rather, and count them rubbish, that so I may gain Christ. He gave them up, so he may gain Christ. Now, question: If he did not give them up, could he have gained Christ? No. He could have kept on doing what he was doing, and you know, persecuting the church and living and following that line of teaching the Pharisees taught. He couldn't do those things if he wanted to gain Christ. He says, I, lo- I suffered the loss of all things, which went beyond more than just the teaching and those types of things. He, went into, he suffered the loss of acquaintances. He suffered the loss of friends. He suffered the loss of teachers, who maybe who he had an acquaintance with. The Bible tells us Paul went to school, right? He was one who was taught very well. But he lost those who were, you know, he had relationships that were, would end because of his conversion to Christ. You couldn't count them as his friends that are trying to kill him, could you? You couldn't count him those individuals as friends when they, when they say he's now an enemy of theirs, right? He lost, when he says, I, count, I suffered the loss of all things, he literally did pretty much lose everything. When he obeyed the gospel, everything changed for him. He lost friends. He lost those who were sources of comfort. He left behind the old way of life. And what happened, though? He also, as he says there in verse 8, that I might gain, or that I may gain, rather, Christ. Paul gave up what he had been doing his entire life. You think about this for a second. Are there other individuals who, when they want to do what was pleasing to God, who friends and acquaintances turn against them? In Jeremiah 20 and verse 10, Jeremiah had this when he says, he says, For I heard many mocking, fear on every side. Report they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling. They turn against him. People he knew. All my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, Perhaps he can be induced, and we will prevail against him. We will take our revenge on him. They're not friends anymore, are they? Even those who he would count as acquaintances, he says, they watch for his stumbling. Saul also lost those that he knew. They had turned against him. When we get ready to obey the gospel, we have to ask ourselves, are we ready to give certain things up? Are there certain things in that backpack that we carry around each and every day that we're used to doing that we're ready to take out and get rid of? It's like going into someone's home who's getting ready to move to a new location. You say, okay, what are you getting rid of? Before we pack things up, what are you getting rid of? We say sometimes we need to rid out. Maybe sometimes we have a garage sale. Maybe sometimes we just throw things away. And you say, okay, what are we getting rid of? What are we selling? What do you want to pack up, right? You ever walk in someone's house and say, oh, no, we're packing it all? Everything? Everything? I mean, what would Saul do if when he heard, met Cross and Road to Damascus, he said, you know what, that's fine, but I'm taking all this with me. He would have never gone to that city to wait for Ananias, would he? What's the point? Because nothing would have changed. So we went ready to gain Christ, to put on Christ in baptism, and become that new creature in Christ. There are going to be certain things we have to take out. That way of life that separated us from Christ in the first place, that's got to go. 
Those old traditions have been passed down that contradict God's Word. They've got to go. Those habits that we have grown accustomed to that will pull us away from God, they have to go. So we start pulling things out of that pack. But there are other things we're going to find that Paul would gain, things that he would place into that backpack, if you will. We find next, we think about his gains that he would acquire by him giving up these other things. You know, it's not uncommon in life that if you want to gain something, you have to give something up. Look with me, you will, at Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 9, as you find Saul here gaining righteousness. Paul gained righteousness, or Saul, from God. That is, he was counted as a righteous person, pleasing to God, by God and not by man. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. That is, not saying to myself, I am righteous, because I say I am. My, my standard of righteousness that I have created in my mind, I'm righteous. Saul says here, Paul says here, I didn't do that. He's not having my own righteous, righteousness, which is from the law, but it is based on what? The old law, but with that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. If you want to be righteous in the time of, you know, the Old Testament law, we understand you had to follow the law, right? The problem was they weren't in the Old Testament law anymore. Christ came, and when he died on the cross and rose again, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that when, that church, when the church began, the new law came into effect, right? And so what was to take place? They had to be a part of the body of Christ, which is the church, the new law that came into effect. And what happened? The old law was what? Nailed to the cross, right? And so we find here in Philippians 3, verse 9, he mentions here this new law. He says, that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by faith. If Paul wanted to have an obedient faith in God, he had to believe in Christ as the Son of God. And we know what all that entails. But he had to believe in Christ as the Son of God. And until the road to Damascus, until that happened, he did not. He did not believe Christ as the Son of God until that event. Now we know him believing in him obeying the gospel are two separate things. Because he didn't obey the gospel until Ananias came to him. But he understood who Christ was on the road to Damascus. That's what, that's what motivated him to obey when Ananias came, came to him, right? We talk about hear, believe, and what? More steps to follow, right? That's what the Apostle Paul did. He heard, he believed, and later he did what? Those other steps when Ananias came to him. And then he was added to the body of Christ. But we think about this here in Philippians 3 and verse 9. He says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, because he wanted to justify himself by the old law. That's how he did, used to do things. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Righteousness which is from God by faith. By faith in who? By faith in, in the Son of God. Paul says he did these things to gain fellowship with Christ and to be partaker with him. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. He says here that I know him and the power of his resurrection. Why did he do those things? Put those, those verses together. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He said, I want to have heaven as my home. I better obey Christ. I better put my hope and my faith in Him, there in verse 10 and 11, that I may know Him, that's a reference to Christ, and the power of His, that's Christ, resurrection. 
Because now Paul, who had been, Saul previously had been persecuted in church, well now he says, I, I suffer the loss of all these things to gain Christ. Because what he has now believed in him, he knows him, and he knows what the power of his resurrection, which indicates he understands that Christ rose from the grave. And the fellowship of his sufferings, well Paul also would have many sufferings, as did Christ as well. He says being conformed to his death, that is what? He's the, he was buried with Christ in baptism, right? If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, if you want to have the resurrection, when we part of the resurrection, you have to be what? A person who is part of the body of Christ. We understand the judgment day when Christ returns, all will be raised, right? We talk about the resurrection to newness of life, the resurrection to what? To punishment, right? He wants the resurrection from the dead at least to what? To the heavenly home. And that's what he talks about next. We talk about the prize that Paul would gain because of the things he was willing to give up. Paul says he had not obtained this prize yet, as we find in verse 12, nor is his work complete, but he presses on working for the Lord to obtain the prize that is in Christ. Look at verse 12. Now that I have already attained, or am already perfected, meaning he's not done, he has work to do, right? But I press on, I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold, has laid hold of me. He does what? He keeps on pressing for the cause of Christ. He keeps on working for the Lord. He is not done yet. He is not perfected. His life is not over. He is not ready to go. He's not to the point where he's going to die and go to the heavenly home yet. He's working for the Lord. No one goes, the Bible tells us, no one goes to heaven alone. We all go together anyway. And so we find in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. What is that? He's going to keep on pressing forward that faithful life that's going to lead him to the heavenly home. Paul says he has left his old life. Look at verses 13 and 14. He has left his old life behind to, to, to obtain the prize, the upward call in Christ, in Christ. As we look at Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, Brother, I do not count myself to have, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those which are ahead. He says he's doing what? He, is, he says, I have not count myself to have apprehended, meaning he has not reached that goal yet. He says, the one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Heavenly home. Salvation. Salvation, we can say, is revealed when we get to heaven, right? Because this is what we're laboring toward, isn't it? We obey the gospel, have our sins forgiven, we, we continue to remain faithful to God, and when we reach the heavenly home, we obtain what? We have been rescued, we have been saved from eternal damnation, if we will remain faithful to God. Well, Paul emphasizes forgetting those things which are behind and reaching ahead, as we find in verse 13. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. To me, I picture a man... Who has, he has pushed something behind him, and he's reaching out to what is in front of him now. Look with me at Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 61 and 62. Here in Luke 9, beginning in verse 61, the Bible says, And another also said, speaking to Christ, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. 
But Jesus said to him, No one who, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's telling us we can't be trying to move forward the whole time we keep looking back. You ever seen a farmer with a plow keep on looking back? No, he's looking straight ahead, isn't he? Because he needs to know what's in front of him. Because what's behind you doesn't matter anymore. It's behind you. You look in front of you to see where you're going. That's what Christ is talking about here in verse 62. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because we can't change what's behind us. We can repent of any sin that we may have committed, but we can't change the past. Don't we certainly want to make sure we know where we're going in the future? That our path before us is on the right one? That we're not so busy looking behind that we veer off and go down the wrong way? Do you ever get caught driving down the road and you, you see something on the side of the road and you look and the next thing you know you hear as you go off the side? I'm not the one that hears that, right? Surely not. But that happens sometimes, all right? We lose our focus and we see something, we see whatever it may be. But spiritually speaking, we can't do that, can we? We cannot look back because if we lose our focus, we're going to do a lot more than just veer off of a physical road. We're going to veer off of a spiritual one. Look at verse 15 and 16 of Philippians chapter 3. We find that Paul encourages us to have the same mind as, as this. That is, and that mind is to put the old man behind and to press toward the prize. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. What is the mind he's talking about? That we're going to keep pressing forward. We're not going to keep looking back. We're not going to try to keep those things that we've done all the time in our backpack to keep those things with us. We're going to keep pressing forward. He says, have this mind, and if anything, if you think... If you think otherwise, God revealing this to you. We're not sure about things today. We open the Bible. We'll find the answer. Nevertheless, he says, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk with the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What is that same rule and same mind? We're going to follow God. He's the God of heaven. And we're going to keep pressing forward until what? Until the very, very, very end. To keep pressing forward. Paul lost many, many things, but he gained so much more. Some, some things in life, some gains in life, are worth the cost. You ever sacrifice your time to go do something and you decide later, you know what, that wasn't even worth it? Maybe you've gone to see a movie, you think, well, that's two hours, I'm never getting back. You go out to eat somewhere, you think, man, that was place I'm never going to go back to. That wasn't very good at all. That wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the drive. It wasn't worth the cost. And on and on the list goes, right? But some gains are worth the cost. In life, man must lose something to obtain other more worthy things. To obtain other more worthy things. Spiritually speaking, we leave behind our life of sin in order to gain the forgiveness and the, and the heavenly home. We leave behind a life of sin. We think about sometimes the way we used to live, and I caution us against doing that, but sometimes we think back to how we used to live, and we may think, why did I ever do that? Why did I ever talk that way? Why did I ever live that way? Why did I ever say those types of things? But sometimes if we're careful, when we look back, we can think about how far we have come and this can serve as a good reminder of why we are here in the first place, isn't it? We think about that backpack that we're carrying through life. What is in that pack? 
Is it worth the cost? Sacrifices are a part of a Christian life. To improve in any area of life requires hard work and sacrifice. Why, do, why are some people not athletes? Because it requires way too much work. Why are some people not musicians? Because it requires, it requires way too much work. There are certain things in life we say that work is, I'm just not able to finish that. I'm not able to, to work that hard, to sacrifice that much to obtain it. But spiritually speaking, that shouldn't be how we think, is it? We think about what God requires of us. We think about the things we give up versus the things that we gain. Is there really any comparison at all to what we lose to what we gain? It is beyond comparison, isn't it? We think about all that this world has to offer, especially now to me it, it seems in the condition our world is in, see what the world has to offer, and, and sometimes it's almost laughable because there's really nothing that tempting, is there? The sin that deteriorates in moments, the material, the material things that fade so quickly over time, the friendships that we find probably sometimes really aren't the friendships we should have at all. We see what the world has to offer, and we compare what God has to offer. There is no real comparison, is there? Spiritually speaking, when it comes to sacrifices and as being a part of Christian life, this is no different. There are going to be sacrifices. To gain heaven requires working to grow spiritually and sacrificing worldliness and sin to obtain the reward. When we say Saul left everything behind to follow Christ, he did just that. He did leave everything behind. We're not saying he was a perfect individual. But think about someone else who left something all behind. When Christ came to the earth, what did he leave behind? Think about where he came from. Heaven. A place that we try to describe it. It's very, very difficult for us to understand what it's like. He, he left behind a, a relationship, you could say, that where he was there literally with God. I understand he still communed with God. But he, that changed when he came to the earth, didn't it? He left behind, as the Bible tells us, angels dwelling in heaven. He left behind all that. He left behind a place where there was no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. All those things had passed away. Christ left, left behind a place where there was no pain, no suffering, no hardship, no accusers. So you come to earth where there was all of those things. Can you imagine when that's like to come to earth from heaven, a place where there's nothing that was negative whatsoever, to a place that was full of so much negativity and hate and anger and bitterness? When we think about what we are asked to give up and compare that to what Christ gave up, I think we'll find we're going to be very, very humbled to realize we have really not much to give up at all. In order to obtain heaven, we too have to sacrifice things in some relationships. The question is, are you willing to do so, and is heaven worth it? I think that's one very important question for us to think about. Is heaven worth it? Is heaven worth the difficulty we face in this life as a Christian? Is it worth people talking about us? saying things that are not true, being hurtful to us, to our families, to our children, and on and on the list goes. Is heaven worth it? The answer better be yes. Because if it's not, then what are you doing here in the first place? Either heaven is worth it, either Christ is worth it, either salvation for the instance of sins is worth it, or it's not. 
We cannot simply go through life trying to play the role of a Christian and think on the day of the judgment we're just going to slip on through. God is not a fool, is he? You know, people tried all kinds of things in the Old Testament time period, and God caught every single one of them. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? You think there weren't people possibly banging on the side of the ark when the water came up? You think there weren't people shouting out when the fire from there in Sodom and Gomorrah's time fell from the sky? God is not mocked. As a Christian, we should think we should we should think very carefully as a Christian what should be in our daily backpack and would it fit through the narrow gate that Christ mentions in Matthew seven, thirteen and fourteen. Christ mentions a narrow gate and a narrow gate that goes down a straight path, right? Or the straight gate rather. And he also mentions a wide and broad way. If you had a wide and broad path, it doesn't matter what size that backpack is, you can take whatever you want to with you, right? Just drag that suitcase behind you. But if we're going to go down the narrow path that leads to the heavenly home, it has to fit through the gate. And if the wrong things are not in there, if the wrong things are in that pack, if it's not follow God and putting him first and all those things, if it includes worldliness, if it includes sinful habits, friends, it won't be fitting through the gate. Because when we get ready to obey God, it must, the only we must have with us is God and His Word. That's the only thing that's going to allow us to get through that narrow gate and to remain on that narrow path. 